Today's readings are from Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 to 6, and chapter 32, verses 19 to 24, and chapter 34, verses 10 to 17. They can be found starting on page 82 of the Bible to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned And he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them in pieces at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf they had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it into powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. He said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such uh, such great sin? Do not be angry, my lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold, and I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Obey what I command you today. I will drive out before you the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you are going, or they will be a snare among you. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and cut down their Asherah poles. Do not worship any other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land, for when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you, and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons, and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, They will lead your sons to do the same. Do not make any idols. The word of the Lord. (laughs) 
Let us pray. God of grace, as we enter into this room, we come from all kinds of different places and backgrounds, uh, and we may come with a huge amount of skepticism and questions as we approach the idea of either the Christian faith or the Bible um, or church. Some of us come with hurts and wounds uh, that we associate in some ways with you. Others of us come from very different kinds of places. Maybe we have great faith in you, but um, our plans have not uh, been what we've liked lately, or they haven't come to fruition, and it seems like if you're in the driver's seat, you have very different plans. And sometimes that hurts, and some of us are in pain and grief, and uh, the wounds are opened, and the hurt is inevitable. We might be afraid as we sit here today. Others of us come, we might be in a very different place from that, in a place of joy or thankfulness that we know you are real. Or we've experienced what it's like to follow you with everything. And you have shown yourself to be real in the midst of that level of faith. So wherever we come from, we pray now, even all those different places, that you would still have the wisdom to speak to every single one of us we would have a sense that you knew what we needed and you sent us on our way having met you and heard from you. Speak to us in such a way that even though we know we're more of a mess than we care to admit, all of us, we're in the same boat, speak to us through your grace that says you move towards us in our mess so that we would know we're more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever been on the lookout? Have you ever been in, in a role where you're, you're supposed to be posted standing watch? I was trying to think through that analogy this week, and I couldn't really come up with anything other than books I've read, you know, The, the Lord of the Rings, maybe, and Bilbo, and, and uh, Frodo, or whoever else. Uh, I forget all the names, you know, like the elves and the hobbits. You know, the enemies are coming at there. It's dark, and they're in a foreign land, and one of them has to to stay awake, right, to watch out for the unknown, the enemy, or whatever. Um, And I couldn't really think, I don't know, can anybody, does anybody have an experience? Is anybody just going to be brave and say, yes, I am standing watch, I don't know, having to stay awake or focus on the lookout, yeah? On a boat. And what do you look out for? What do you, just not hitting, oh yeah, sure, yeah, that's great. Did you have, did you do okay? Yeah, because okay. I feel like I'm horrible at that kind of thing, you know. And I, you know, I thought of, at least I thought of watching as a kid for shooting stars. For a long time, I thought the idea of a shooting star was just made up because I didn't have the attention span for more than 10 seconds to stare at black, you know, with little dots, and I just didn't know. And when I saw, you know, when I finally had to sit there uh, camping once and just everyone was just laying there looking up, and I was laying there too, all of a sudden I saw a few of these shooting stars and it blew my mind. Like, it wasn't at all what I pictured. And then, you know, the idea of this long, streaking, bright light, it was like a space-age kind of thing. Um, Once I finally looked, most of us have a hard time. Even think of it as a spiritual analogy now. So the people of Israel collectively, in a sense, at the base of this mountain, this is what's happening in the story, 
And they're looking up at the top of the mountain where their leader has gone. He's been gone for a long time. And really all they can do is sit around and look up and just be on watch. When's he going to come back down? When are things going to start happening again? Does that connect a little bit spiritually for you? God, where are you? What's going to happen next? And just have a sense of like, well, maybe I should just stop looking at that one spot and just get off and go do something about it, right? That's essentially what happens with the people of Israel. You get restless and you give your attention to other things when maybe think of it as looking for God or looking towards God isn't really producing what you're thinking needs to be produced. You think about this story of the Israelites making the golden calf. It's a pretty famous story. Most of you have probably heard something of the idea of the golden calf. When you think about this story, I want you to think about it like that. Like they're looking at that mountain and they're, they're creating an idol for the gaps, really, the gaps in God's effectiveness. Because for 40 days now they've been looking and God's not doing anything. And so it's time to look for something, you know, for the slow times, something now, while we're, nothing seems to be happening from God's point of view. And I wonder if we think, look at ourselves, what do you do when you have a functioning belief of, you know what, I'm, if I'm honest, my functioning belief is God is not being effective right now. God is ineffective. What do you do? Where do you go? Okay, then you're starting to notice you know, idolatry sounds like this ancient word, and we don't use it much, we don't talk about it, but then you're, you're getting into the realm of, of your idols, if you can answer that question. So it was the slow times for Israel, because if you think about it, this whole story, we've been on this journey together, so maybe you've caught a lot of these Sundays in the book of Exodus. There were the fast times. There were the times where God was very effective. The ten plagues, it was like, it, w- it was special effects, light show extraordinaire. All these things are happening, and it was just wide-eyed excitement that this God who seems to be on our side is doing that and doing that, and he's, he's making it all okay for us, and he's leading us out. And then you've got the Red Sea, and it parts ways, and they go through, and it is, God is a, a good person to have on your side. I mean, he is effective. And they get out into the wilderness, and we went through some of those bumps in the road where they lose their faith immediately as soon as they get thirsty, and they're grumbling. But then there it is again, God's effectiveness. Water out of a rock. You know, just this mysterious bread out of heaven. They, they called it manna because they'd never seen it before. And manna means what is it? You know, and they're, every morning they're going and collecting what is it, and they're eating what is it because they'd have never seen anything like that. God is very effective. So they get to this point now in this story, and he's not being effective. And they're looking at the mountain, and there's clouds sort of obscuring the view, and it's just kind of they can't see into the future, and they can't see what's going to happen. They can't see God doing anything. And they say, well, now it, it seems like it's one of the slow times. So let's get busy and do something. Let's have something in, in our belief system for the slow times. Imagine if they had succeeded in this, if they had gotten away with it, in a sense, and not been confronted with the golden calf incident. You can imagine them telling their, this, their voice might have been something like this when they told their children or friends that they who didn't know about the God, their God of Israel. And they were talking about it and said, well, you know, we, we had a phase. We, we used to have a phase we were in where we, we put all, all our eggs in the basket of 
the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, you know, that was our traditional viewpoint, really. We had a phase of that. But we found, I mean, just for us, we had to move forward and, and have a little more sophisticated, grown-up uh, set of beliefs, really. So, you know, you know there, were, there are the times where there's the, the, the special effects God, and, but there are also the slow times, and we, we needed something for that, too. And so, you know, we've got some, some of the golden calf. We've got some, I mean, you can imagine, what does that sound like? Well, it sounds a lot like um, people you know, you and I know. Um, uh, okay, let's get a little more specific. It sounds like us, right? It sounds like kind of our standard approach to a lot of things in life. And so as we look into this, this is a chance to look at ourselves. And as we do it, the, the story helps us because there's actually some, some fun irony and there's some great comic relief amidst this story. Um, let's just let's look at the irony. So if you, the irony is, I think irony is the word for this. I might be wrong. I think, I think this is a little bit ironic that if you look back, so you've got the people of Israel. Once in a while, they all speak together as one voice and they say something. Um, if you look back, the last time they said something before the golden calf story was at the end of this covenant ceremony where they were saying, yes, God, yes. And, um, and it went like this in chapter 24, verse 7. The last thing they said that we know they said. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. And I think this is intentional by the narrator. The very next words out of their collective mouth that that we're told they're saying together. They say to Aaron, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. I just love it. That that's the next thing they say. And, and you say, you know, I'm a preacher, so you think I'm going to say, oh, how terrible. What, a, what an awful group of people, and you'll never be like them. Um, but in some ways, it's too late. I don't know if you've ever noticed that you can be a little bit like this, that all of a sudden, out of the blue, you kind of, if, if you have some spiritual... Uh, introspection, all of a sudden you say, wow, how did that happen? All of a sudden you wake up and you go, how did all of a sudden, how did I make an idol out of this? I, I was in such a good place. How did this thing over here all of a sudden become so big in my life? And all of a sudden I don't have much trust in God at all for my future. And I put it all over here. You know, we have that. Out of the, all of a sudden you say, where did that come from? How ironic that all of a sudden... This happens, and it happens because I, that's how idolatry works. Idolatry, let's, let's give some, some definitions to it. A, a good way to describe idolatry is a sort of construction of a false god in this kind of a way. Basically, you take something in your life, and it can be almost anything. We're very creative at this, and you can use this over here to be your significance, and it can be your security, and it can be where you go to kind of shore up your identity. In a sense, making a false god in your life, making an idol, it's a place where you go for, you know, you call up AT&T or SureWest or Comcast for it to be your ISP, your internet service provider. Your idol is where you go for your, your spiritual ISP, your identity security provider. And you've got something in your life where you're going and you're kind of shoring up your identity over here and your security and your sense of everything's ask yourself what what in your life do you sometimes get backed in a corner and you say well if this happens or if everything over here goes okay then i'll be okay 
then I'll be happy. Then I'll know things are all right. Most likely your answer is reflecting some kind of idol. So we've got our idols, and we do it even without thinking. You look at some of the comic relief in this story. Uh, notice the two versions of the golden calf. There's, there's one that the narrator tells us, and then there's Aaron, Aaron's version. He's Moses' brother. So here's the first version. Notice the differences. Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them. Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, your daughters were wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and, they, and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Moses' version later on, in a sense, when he gets caught, he said, Moses said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such a great sin? And he said, don't be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt. We don't know what has happened to him. So far he's getting it right. And then he says this, so I told them whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. Right? And I, I just love the humor in that. It's very human. It just kind of feels like, yeah, we know that kind of, that sort of just subtle way of retelling things. We, I know that at least. I don't know about you. I don't know if you're as terrible as I am um, at recounting your mistakes. But I, I know how that goes. But then there's something really profound about that little tidbit, that little, it just came out as a calf. I, it just came out. There's something very spiritually profound about that. Because there's a sense in which, with our idols, that's exactly how it works. We've got, it seems like we've got an arsenal on our spiritual, our spiritual shelves. We've got all this arsenal of idols all lined up. It's amply supplied, and we know how to use them, and we know how to draw from them. And all of a sudden, we just kind of say, what happened? I, I, it just popped out, a golden calf, all of a sudden. That's actually how, how it often works, because there's a a way in which our hearts are just inclined and prone to put our spiritual significance and security onto something tangible that that we can see. Because we're kind of looking up at the mountain and nothing seems to be happening and we're getting, you know, we're kind of getting restless. It's a little bit like if uh, you get pulled over for speeding and the officer says, what happened? And you say, I actually don't know what happened. I, I had the cruise control set, and then all of a sudden I saw your lights, and I'm going 80 miles an hour, but it was set at 55. I, I don't really know what happened. And the officer says, well, did you take your foot off the accelerator? And oh, I never thought about that. Oh, thank you. I did not even think to do that. I, you know, there's a sense in which that's, we, kept, we find ourselves there without even thinking. We're, we're just sort of inclined. We get in a tight spot. We get in a slow time. God seems ineffective or absent, so we go for the achievement idol. We get a little restless with what God's doing in our life. We go for the approval idol. We go for the personal freedom idol. We go for the adventure idol. We go for anything. You can, you can make anything an idol. And so, so if you understand 
idols in your life this way. This is why it's possible that you could be a, you know, a lifelong church-going Christian. You know, you've, you've got your Bible under your arm. You've got the papers to prove your membership. You've got the whole thing, right? But you can, you can have a whole stack, a whole set, an arsenal of idols in your life active that are very active because, because it's, it's subtle. It also can be that you can be someone looking into the Christian faith saying, I'm trying to figure things out. I'm trying to understand the Christian faith and if it connects with me and with my, you know, is it for me? You can be exploring it and and walk away going, ah, it never really connected. It It wasn't really catalytic. It was just kind of there, that whole Christian faith thing. And one of the reasons would be you haven't, you haven't seen it through the lens of your idols. You haven't seen what it says about your idols and where you're going for your security and for your significance. And so we need to kind of, you know, just keep unpacking this and try to get specific in our lives. You know, um, I don't spend very much time thinking back and quoting the, the Rocky movies, okay? But there is one place where Rocky puts this very eloquently when he's talking about why, he, why he's got to do this, why he's got to be a boxer. Boxer, right? <laughs> um, why does Rocky got to do this? And, and he's explaining to his girlfriend and he says, you know, I got to go the distance because then I'll know I'm not a bum, right? You remember that line? I'll know I'm not a bum. And there's a sense in which internally that's what idolatry is. That's a great idolatry lesson from Rocky is what, what is it in your life that you say, if this happens, I'll know I'm not a bum. What is it? Where do you go for that? It's probably not boxing, I, I don't think, but it's something. And then what, what's kind of what the pivot move is, you know, that where you realize that, you see it and you pivot and you, in the spiritual growth step is realizing that the whole sweeping message of this book, of the Bible, is that to speak right into that place in your life that says, I know if I do this, I'm not a bum, or if I achieve this, I'm not a bum. And to speak right in that and to say, did you know, God speaking to you, did you know from the stories in here, haven't I been clear, that I made you not a bum. I take away your bum. You, you were a bum. You are a bum in a sense. There isn't anything significant you've done to climb your way up the mountain and get out of your bum status over there. But I did it for you. I came down the mountain. And this is where, if you follow this story, if you follow the script and tease out what that means, if you can speak the gospel to your own idol and see that Jesus is the Son of God coming down from the mountain to us, God's presence, that's what the golden calf was, try to get up the mountain, try to, get God, try to do something to get God's presence to be happening again. Jesus came down the mountain. There's no kind of busyness or uh, anti-bum activity that you can put your life into that none of it will get you up the mountain. You'll just have to try something else and you'll keep trying to go up the mountain another way and another way and another way and God just says into your life, this is the gospel, I made you, I took that all away and I just elevated you to the top of the mountain. I say, my son took the place you should have taken, the bum place on the cross, so that you could take the child place. You could be my child 
You're my beloved daughter or son in whom I am well pleased. The pleasure of my son Jesus is what I see in you. You didn't do anything to get it. And that's the point. That's why it's grace. Now, if you know, you hear me saying that and you're kind of going, yeah, 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 but it's not connecting, right? Or it's, there's, I, I want it to connect. I, and, and you're in the ballpark if you're at least wanting that to connect. And God helps it connect in the midst of continuing to seek him to replace whatever that idol is you're chasing after. Um, what is it? Do you know what it is? Well, here's a few final closing things. So a few things just to help you maybe identify a little more, to see a little clearly idolatry or your idol in your life. Usually it's not all or nothing. Usually it's not just, all right, I, you know, I have this over here so I don't need God at all. Usually it's a lot more nuanced and sophisticated than that. So you notice the Israelites, they say, make us a God or make us gods. Aaron makes the calf. And very interesting. When, when Aaron makes this calf and they all see it, they say this. The, the people say this. These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Very, if you know the storyline, very disturbing, right? Because it's the other one who brought them out of Egypt. It's not the calf. But, I mean, that's, so that's what they say. These are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. So they say that, and then Aaron, it says, when Aaron saw this, we didn't read this actually on the screen. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. <laughs> it was, it was kind of like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, I, I, we better kind of have some of both here because I don't want that blanket statement idolatry that they just said. It's very interesting. And that's how idolatry is in our life. It's not, it's not all or nothing. Realize that, that it's, that it's sort of like, hey, we got the God for the fast times and we got the God for the slow times. Uh, one other, another point, it's not, it's not a choice necessarily between religion and irreligion. It's not a choice between, um, you know, well, I can either be a church person and be loyal to God in the church or I can... I have like these idols over here, you know, my idol, idol of career, my idol of money, or my idol of relationships, or children, or children's education. It's not just, it's not just, you know, you're either in the religious camp or the irreligious camp. That's not what idolatry kind of divides. Because as the Apostle Paul put it, he, at one point when describing the gospel in his own life and his own story, he, he kind of lists all his Jewish religious credentials is a way of saying, I had all this stuff going on. And it's saying, you know, before the gospel took their place, there was a whole bunch of places I was looking uh, for my significance. And they were all religious things. They were all pretty good religious things, but it was kind of they were flipped backwards. And he was using them for his significance instead of using God as his significance and those things maybe as a, Gratitude for the significance God gave him. So it's not just religion or irreligion. And the last thing, usually your idol is where you put your gold. What happens in the story when the people ask for an idol, when they ask for another God for the slow times, what happens is they all take off their jewelry and that's where they put their gold. That's very symbolic for what we do with our idols. Whatever it might be, 
If you're not sure where it might be, you know, look at your checkbook or QuickBooks or whatever you use. You know, where where is your money going? Some of us, you know, we have things that, um, w- and if, if you know me recently, um, basketball, right, is, is something that, like, is important to me. And this year especially, I've just kind of been in basketball mode. So, you know, for me, you know, I can put money into something like that here or there. I can, I can get a subscription to this or I can get, a, you know, some tickets to the Kings or, you know, I can, I can get a, a gym membership so I can play basketball. And I can, I can kind of put money into that just because it's, well, well, you start to look at things in your life and you say, hey, we all have these different places, different ways in which you say, my money kind of easily goes over here. Well, then you kind of say, well, is there, is there some idolatry? Is there some significance and security wrapped up in this over here? Um, I think about um, interesting thing of Thomas Jefferson and John Adams. If you kind of know the history, they died on the same day. I think it was the 50th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And they both died. You know, they were both there at the signing. They both died on the same day, um, like July 4th, whatever. Very appropriate for this weekend. And, um, and the interesting thing about it, if you read about Thomas Jefferson, is he was a spender. You know, he was just going around, always having the latest fashion. He was always building his, um, his beautiful, you know, house called Monticello and putting all this money into it. He was a spender. And one person, historian, said that he, he kept very careful record of all his expenditures, but he never, he never um, tallied up the total at the bottom. You know, he never balanced anything, but he kept very careful record of all his expenditures. Isn't that interesting little tidbit? And then you contrast that to his colleague, um, John Adams, at the same time, didn't come from kind of the wealth and the aristocratic kind of leanings of, that Thomas Jefferson did. You know, John Adams, more of a practical guy, more of just like a farmer kind of guy. And so when they die on the same day, Thomas Jefferson ends up having this debt of like $100,000. And in all the earnings of John Adams, even though he lived very simply and kind of frugally, um, they all, they, his earnings or all his, what do you, I can't think of the word, all this stuff uh, added up to $100,000, right? So isn't that interesting? And then you look at that and you say, well, there's one good guy and there's one bad guy, right, with money. But it's actually, you can find in that, where's your idol? Is your idol saving and security in having it kind of banked up and living frugal, frugally? Or is your idol in looking a certain way and having certain things or just purchasing? So, you know, it's very tricky, this whole thing of idolatry. Where do you put your gold? Underneath that, there might be some kind of idol. All right, I'm going to pray, but I want to say this last thing. The sermon that never ends. Look, Hebrews 11, think about this. If idolatry is looking to the mountain and not seeing anything and then moving on to something a little more effective, Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. In your life, is God giving you opportunities to kind of push idolatry aside and to have faith instead? It might feel a whole lot like nothing's happening that you see. And then one last scriptural note. Psalm 63 has this beautiful line. I'll close with this. When David's out in the desert, he says, On my bed I remember you. 
This is someone who's replaced their idolatry with trust in God's goodness and their status in God's sight. On my bed, I remember you. I think, I think of you during the watches of the night. I think of you during the watches of the night. Let's pray. Our great God, we need so much help, um, even in identifying, really even believing that we might have things that we could call idols in our life. And then we need so much help identifying them. And even more so, the real difficulty for us is, then how do we do something about it? How do we replace them? How do we have faith in place of something that looks a whole lot like an idol? And for some of us, you're actually giving us really ripe opportunities right now to exercise our non-idolatry muscles because we're looking out at our life, we're looking up at our hopes and our plans, and there's a lot that we're not seeing. We're just not seeing what we want, we're not seeing you active, and we're wondering where you are. Will you help us in our restlessness to wait upon you and to think of you through the watches of the night. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.